You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review's senior editor, Daniel Horowitz, and along with co-host Joe Koss, they break down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering The Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to The Conservative Conscience. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz. December 5th, Monday afternoon, our first podcast for December. And here, look, this is the problem when I don't uh, record another podcast at the end of the week. So much stuff builds up, so much to talk to you guys about. Um, Obviously, a lot of stuff on the Trump transition. We got Obamacare. We got immigration stuff. We got court stuff stuff up the wazoo, which is why you got to go to conservativereview.com. Look at all my articles. The courts are destroying our country uh, at a later date, I'll have more to tell you guys. Uh, I, I gave a speech to about 20 House members on Capitol Hill. They're very receptive to my message of judicial review. Uh, sorry, judicial reform. <laughs> judicial review is the problem. That is why I'm going to keep fighting on this issue. We're going to keep it up here at Conservative Review. But for now, I want to get back to one of the two issues we spoke about last week, and that is the stealth invasion of refugee resettlement. And Stealth Invasion is the title of a new exciting book written by Leo Homan of WorldNet Daily. WND, as you guys know, um, also published my book, Stolen Sovereignty, as well. So before we bring him on, just a couple of uh, housekeeping notes here. We got CRTV launching today. This is very exciting news for us. So you, I know you all love Mark Levin's TV show. Well, we're going to have Michelle Malkin, we're going to have Mark Stein and Steven Crowder. They will all have shows at CRTV for just 89 bucks. You get an entire year subscription, no stupid commercials or anything. You could just stream at your convenience. This is the time to take back the medium of TV from the left or from the pseudo-conservatives. So uh, very exciting times. One other note, we have a new sponsor here at Conservative Review, FreedomWorks. Um, as you know, I'm not a libertarian. I'm a traditional constitutional conservative. They're libertarians, but there's one issue they're really good at, many issues, but one issue in particular is Obamacare. If you, if you don't act now, I'm warning you, we will not be able to make a difference because Republicans do not plan on repealing the heart and soul of Obamacare, the coverage mandates. And if you want lower premiums and better health care, we need to repeal Obamacare, all of it, on day one. Got to be very careful with that. That's why I need you guys to go to www.endobamacarenow.com. It's time to take advantage of a stark opportunity to repeal all of Obamacare and see how freedom works. So join our buddies at Freedom Works. We're going to keep up on that battle. But back to refugee resettlement, the other big fight of our time. You know, one of the writers out there on the web who has really been a pioneer in warning about this stealth Islamic immigration, um, whether it's through refugee resettlement, whether it's through other I- immigrant categories, is Leo Homan of WorldNet Daily. And, you know, last week we had this attack in, in uh, Columbus, Ohio, Ohio State University, perpetrated by a Somali refugee we brought in a couple years ago, and no one's talking about it anymore. It, I mean, it's like it never happened. And one after another, you put this together, we're having major issues here. 
Leo is someone who has chronicled this in great detail, and he has a very exciting book coming up, The Stealth Invasion. It's coming out in January, and we'll link to it in our, our show notes at order it on Amazon.com. But with no further ado, hey, Leo, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Daniel. Now, really been meaning to talk to you for a long time, even before I knew you were writing this book. Now, they sent me the little PDF uh, version, so it's hard to read through it. Yeah. So, you know, I'm so used to reading books just hardcover, even though I read everything else online. But I've definitely, uh, you know, looked at the table of com- contents, the in- intro. And, you know, as you know, I'm very acquainted with a lot of these subjects. But, you know, my listenership, my view- readership, uh, they're used to my kind of advocacy, commentary on this issue, but you've taken this a step further. You've done shoe leather reporting on what is going on in in the communities, very much rural communities, small to mid cities in our country that are being socially transformed, what I call social transformation without representation, by this Islamic refugee resettlement program. If you could talk to us a little bit about your reporting, what you're seeing throughout the country um, what is actually going on in the ground on the ground behind some of these statistics that we're talking about? You know, half the mu- refugees being Muslim, um, 130,000 Somali refugees. But what does that look like on the ground in small communities? Well, uh, you know, it, like you said, it, it is starting to spread out into the smaller communities, not just the gateway cities like we've seen in the past. You know, New York, L.A., Miami, Chicago. No. We're seeing uh, them come in being placed secretly. You know, that's the big deal here. These refugees are being placed secretly with no input from the local communities in places, you know, like Stone Mountain, Georgia, Twin Falls, Idaho, Rutland, Vermont, Wilmar, Minnesota, you know, and, and it seems like, you know, when, when people find out about it, it's too late to stop it or even ask any questions. If, if you ask any difficult, hard questions that uh, after it gets announced in the local newspaper or by the local city council, you're, you're seen as uh, some kind of bigot or xenophobe, uh, and then they unleash the dogs on you in the local media, and, you know, everybody in your community thinks that, oh, you know, George is against refugees, especially if you're in one of these more liberal areas, but but we've seen that that it's usually now more than just one or two people. You know, like even Rutland, Vermont, they they had quite a few uh, people who you know just everyday working people who were really upset when they found out that they were going to be getting Syrian refugees, and it was all uh, plotted by the mayor and uh, in behind closed doors working with the federal government. One other member of the city council. Uh, was clued into it, and that was only like a couple, two, three weeks before it was the done deal, and, and he was pretty much pledged to secrecy. So, you know, as you know, Daniel, no, no good thing usually happens in secret. You know, secrecy is the enemy of truth, and, and this is what we've seen in one community after another. Uh, you know, people just feel like their community is being changed without them having any any say-so in the matter, and, uh, you know, before long, you end up with cities like, uh, you know, Dearborn, Michigan, uh, Hamtramck, Michigan, where your vote is going to be watered down and eliminated by a foreign culture. 
No, I mean, and this is the social transformation with that representation. Yeah, I mentioned in Stolen Sovereignty, but it's just a small subchapter on on refugee resettlement that I have. You have an entire book dedicated to a lot of the very new information. I mean, some of the stuff that just happened literally within the last number of weeks and months. Uh, could you talk about a little bit more about what happened in Idaho? Um, everyone's up in arms that over yeah. the weekend, in, in the, this top EU official in Germany, had his, his daughter was raped and killed by an Afghani refugee. You know, and we think, well, this, that, that's Europe. Crazy stuff happens there, but it can't happen here. What's happening here? Yeah, I talk about a few of these cases in my book where it's also it's already starting to happen here, uh, where uh, refugees from the Middle East or North Africa commit a crime, and uh, when they do, they seem to suffer very little consequences. Uh, one of them, one case, was the one in Twin Falls where we had a couple of we had three refugee boys, raging. Uh, they were ages nine, ten, and fourteen. Uh, rape a little girl there in Twin Falls, five-year-old girl who had special needs girl at an apartment complex. Uh, it, the whole thing was seen pretty much in progress by an elderly resident of the apartment complex who walked in on it in the laundry room, saw something suspicious, walked in and saw the the sexual assault going on in progress, and it was also filmed by the oldest boy, the 14-year-old. So there was no lack of evidence. They knew exactly what happened. And uh, some bloggers initially put out some information about it, and, um, you know, about 90% of the information was accurate. Uh, there was a few minor mistakes, like I think they said it was Syrian refugees. Well, it turned out to be uh, Iraqi and Sudanese. Which, which is the same thing. I mean, it does... Exactly. Get- They're still refugees, still from the, you know, a hostile, Sharia-compliant country. Um but but they they seized on this the mainstream media there in Twin Falls, and tried to make it like the whole story was kind of false, you know, more of the fake news type thing. Um, sure, and and I sympathize with you operating in this sphere. Again, you do a little bit more shoe leather reporting than I do, but um, it's hard because when no one's working with you, uh, when the mainstream media with their resources, they don't want to dig into the the no, ship no. status. So we have trouble. And yes, yeah, some of the minor details are always murky when these attacks happen, these events. But the same theme is that we've brought in hundreds of thousands, you know, pretty much 160,000 or so Islamic immigrants, many of them refugees, but not all, you know, every every single year. A lot of people are focused on Syria, but that's relatively new. Um, we, we, we actually, to my knowledge, have brought in more Somalis even this fiscal year than Syria's, and that's 23 years after the collapse of, of Somalia. Um, I want to Right. See, that's so, what people don't understand. It's ongoing. Once they start a refugee program from a certain country, you know, like, you know, we were told we were going to get 10, Obama wanted to bring 10,000 Syrian refugees here. Well, that was just the first year, and he eclipsed even that goal. He ended up bringing in over 12,000, and, and that was just the first year. He, 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 he had planned to bring at least, you know, 15,000, 20,000 in the year after that, and we'll see if Trump stops that or not. But, uh, but the funding is, is probably there for it. And uh, it was the same thing with Somalia. We've been getting five to 10,000 per year, you know, since the early 90s. It's just unbelievable. Uh, it stopped for a year and a half after 9-11 and then picked right back up again. Right back so, up as if nothing happened. And, and, and this, this is the thing. 
we responded to 9-11 as if it was a military invasion, you know, Iraq and Afghanistan. And the reality is the first line of defense there was immigration. At heart, it was an immigration problem. And instead of, uh, you know, taking care of that, we actually doubled down on the failures, you know, this flow of immigration from the Middle East really started in earnest in the 90s, you know, maybe a little bit before, but but pretty much in the 90s. And we doubled it uh, thereafter in the, the decade after 9-11. Um, and you, you talk about the Somali refugees a lot. At the end of your book, I, I skipped around a little bit. Chapter 13, what's going on in Minneapolis? Now, I've written about this for a number of years, but you have a story there that just, it's mind-blowing. I never... Uh, it's blood-curdling, yeah. It's, it's blood, and I want to just preface it for our readers, because uh, I, I know um, you're very passionate about this as well. Even conservatives, when they talk about this issue, they talk about vetting. As if this, right. the, the problem is, well, you prospectively need to vet these families to see if they have some sort of identification, a card that identifies them as a official member of a known terror group like ISIS or Al-Qaeda or Hezbollah or whatever. But the reality is the problem we're bringing in is the mentality, the Sharia law, the culture that is antithetical to our values that cultivates the climate. So you're not always going to have terror attacks, but A, it does cultivate it, but B, in general, it causes problems. What type of problems are we seeing? Yeah, I mean, this this situation in Twin Falls was just one small example. The Minneapolis story is is just as frightening, but, you know, it involved an older woman uh, in her 30s, a very attractive woman who, you know, just simply went out to take her trash out to the canister at the car and ended up being harassed by a group of Somali uh, refugee hoodlums uh, and who ended up telling her, you know, they they were just sort of, you know, doing the, you know, uh, thing that a lot of young men might do, gawking and saying stuff like, oh, you're pretty and whatnot. But when she said, oh, I'm married, you know, and started walking back to her uh they said, oh, we want to marry you. And so she said, well, I'm married. And she started walking back. I'm already married and started walking back to her house. And then they started getting really belligerent and telling her that they could, you know, rape her and just take her basically according to Sharia law, according to their law, uh, you know, and, and, and it just went on from there. There was, you know, uh, an attack on, on one of the neighborhood's dog. It was a three days in a row, basically, of harassment in this uh, upscale neighborhood uh, on how, Lake, how Calhoun, Lake Calhoun there in Minneapolis. How and it went on for three days. And, and there's another case I talk about in, in Lawrenceville, Georgia, where a woman was sitting in her own garage the day after Memorial Day this year, earlier this year, talking and having uh, coffee in the morning with her daughter, her teenage daughter, and out comes a woman from the woods behind her house in a full burqa, walks to the front and takes the flagpole off of the woman's mailbox and beats her with it in her own on her own property, beats her with her own flagpole. And uh, she was only charged with a misdemeanor. And the local police chief referred it to the FBI for hate crimes, hate crime uh, prosecution, the FBI dismissed it within days, never even called the victim, never called the eyewitnesses who helped the woman fight off this attacker, neighbors, uh, just dismissed it out of hand. And uh, no, no, no hate crime here, nothing to see, run along, no problem. 
could you imagine if it had been the other way around and a Somali refugee had been beaten with oh, their man. own? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and Leo, here, here's the deal. I mean, when it comes to, you know, refugees and everything, so a lot of people, again, they focus on the du jour example, the, I mean, the, and then the ultimate problem, which is a terror attack. And, you know, let's take the Somali communities in, in Minneapolis. So we've had problems there. There are about 40 known individuals that were charged um, or at least investigated for ties to terrorism. But from your research, isn't it clear that it's a lot more than just the 40 people that you caught that are problematic, right. that there are a lot of orbits around it, family, friends, uh, community leaders, maybe not, you know, not all of them are like that, but certainly a significant number, they agree with it. They, they uh, you know, subscribe to that culture. So that we're bringing in in large numbers, isn't it more than just a few individuals? Oh, absolutely. You know, you listen to President Obama and he, he said, he'll say that 99% of uh, the world's Muslims are peaceful and, you know, every time there's a terrorist attack, that's just the, the 0.1%, I guess, that are, you know, harbor these, uh, as he would say, a warped view of Islam. Uh, well, you know, that's not what you find when you go out and talk to these people. Uh, uh, Ami Horowitz did a uh, documentary on the streets of Minneapolis, the Cedar Riverside community, uh, last year. And just about everyone he interviewed, Somalis, uh, men, women, young, old, you know, they all said that, you know, we should have, they, they believe that Sharia law was superior to the, should reign over the, be supreme over the U.S. Constitution, uh, you know, that Mohammed should not, it should be illegal to speak critically of Mohammed uh, or Allah, this type of thing, you know. So, you know, just because they're not all out committing terrorist attacks doesn't mean that, they're going to buy into our system and assimilate into American culture. Exactly. And what does that tell you? I mean, over time... It's a cumulative problem. Exactly. Over time, the more we bring in, if they're not assimilating, then, then we're creating a huge Trojan horse here in America, uh, you know, down the road. Because, I mean, I, what I like to tell people when they say that, you know, 99% of, of Muslims are peaceful, you know, okay... Fine. Show me one country in the world that is majority Muslim, that has, a, you know, a, a government system, any even remotely resembling uh, freedom and democracy. You know, where women are treated equally, where you have freedom of expression, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, things that are in our Bill of Rights. Show me one country that has anything remotely similar to that. That's majority Muslim. They can't do it. And, and you don't have to look at the Middle East proper. I mean, even in, in Europe, it's amazing that we look ominously across the pond to our European friends and, uh, you know, we're making the same mistakes. There you have countries that are maybe seven, eight, at most 10% Muslim, and they're basket cases. I mean, that's just a rel still a relatively small percentage. Right. Obviously, it's more front-loaded with the younger generation. It's going to grow rapidly. Um, but it, it's a numbers game, too. In America, a country, 325 million people, it's hard to get a, you know. It will take a little longer, but, right. But, but, you know, numbers do matter, too. So even if it's only 1%, 2%, 2% um, you know, that, that's an awful lot of people. And, um, 
you know, I, I suspect even our discussion between you and me were kind of a bunch of squishes if you compare to our ancestors until our grandparents' generation, maybe even our parents' generation, would never have tolerated this. One of the things I go over in no. chapter six of my book, I have a lot of history of immigration. And the fact that we have to almost defend, well, you know, they might commit terror attacks. Well, immigration is an elective policy. And there's a lot of supply. A lot of people want to come here. Everyone wants to come here. We should only bring in people who will affirmatively love America, cherish our values. So our founders always refer to this in the context of immigration. You know, with all the hyphenated Americanism nowadays, there's one hyphenated American they always reference, and that was Republican Americans. They wanted Republican Americans. It wasn't, you know, so much even about the the welfare, and that's an issue. Well, you didn't have welfare then, but it was more so that they wanted people to assimilate into our political values, and that's what what I think, you know, you found in your reporting that's kind of lost. Absolutely. We're just not getting any evidence of it. And, you know, you can go down this list, too, of recent terror attacks. Uh, I recently had a story published on WND, uh, eight bloody terrorist attacks in less than 18 months on U.S. soil. And, uh, you know, like you said at the top of the show, each time one of these attacks uh, takes place, the, the media reports it in a vacuum, like it's just an isolated thing. They don't connect any dots. You know, if I had been a reporter on the ground, say, covering the Ohio State knife attack last week, um, you know, by a Somali uh, refugee, I I would have felt compelled to point out that just two months earlier, on September 17th, the Somali refugee went on a stabbing spree at a mall in in Minnesota. Sure. You know, I, I might have been compelled to say that on that same day, just two months ago, an Afghan refugee uh, set off a bunch of pipe bombs in the Chelsea neighborhood of Manhattan, injuring 29 people. Uh, you know, these are just the most recent ones. And, and, oh, and, that, and, and earlier this year in the yes. same city, in the yes. same city, Daniel, of, of Columbus, Ohio, uh, a stabbing attack took, attack took place in February of this year at the Nazareth Mediterranean Restaurant by a uh, African refugee. So, yeah, and it, uh, it was an Israeli Christian-owned restaurant. Exactly in there says Allah Akbar and I believe it was WND Conservative Review and Patrick Poole over at at PJ Media to my knowledge we were the only ones you could literally meaning these other times he mentioned they expunge any mention of Islam or whatever here if you would google the news accounts maybe except for there was one major media network none of them reported it at all that it even existed if it weren't so sad it would be laughable yeah, it's almost like they have a computer system, you know, uh, to prioritize stories and just uh, expunge any any mention of of Islamic terror. But but again, like we said, this is a lot more foundational. We're running out of time here. I want to move on to another area you discuss, and that's the private resettlement contractors. Um, the the fact that you could have these unelected private individuals that have organizations. And they get taxpayer funds to transform our communities. I want to quote from you um, a part of my book and get your comment on it. As far back as 2000, David M. Robinson, a former acting director of the Refugee Bureau in the State Department, described the insidious power of the contractors as follows. The agencies form a single body that wields enormous influence over the administration's refugee admissions policy. It lobbies the Hill effectively to increase the number of refugees admitted for permanent resettlement each year, 
and at the same time provides overseas processing for admissions under contract to the State Department. In fact, the federal government provides about 90% of its collective budget. If there is a conflict of interest, it is never mentioned. Right. Oh, yeah. And to lay that again back on the media, whenever there's a story in one of these local communities uh, about pushback from the local community, which you asked me about when we started the show, uh, then I, I said they call in the dogs to to put these people in their place. Well, the dogs are these private resettlement agencies, typically. <laughs> I, I have that to be, by the way, Leo. So during the debate with Cruz and Rubio in the primary, Cruz mentioned Rubio supported the Gang of Eight with a provision that expanded refugee resettlement. And PolitiFact, um, or, or the other one, maybe Washington Post fact check, did a fact check on me. And... Uh, they uh, they brought in one of the refugee resettlement, I think, from the Hebrew Aid Society <laughs> to debunk me. <laughs> like, right. There was no mention of the conflict of interest. That never. That was what I was going to say. They never mentioned that the person that they're quoting to defend the refugee program against the local activist is profiting from the very program that, that he is uh, defending. So it, it is, it's, a, it's a circular game, and it, and it involves a lot of inaccuracies. I mean... Uh, I, I read stories every day in local media where it are just filled with inaccuracies about the program, always usually quoting uh, somebody who's profiting from the program. You know, just to move to the final frontier, and we're going to have to have you back because there's just so much more to talk about, and, and sadly, we're going to have to be addressing this more. But looking forward, you know, Trump was largely, largely elected on this issue and very much what it represents what the heck? This is not the America I recognize. Kind of that attitude a lot of people mm-hmm. see, just this social transformation. Um, some people might not even be able to put their finger on it, but this certainly um, accentuates that problem. Uh, he's going to be sworn in January 20th. And mm-hmm. I was a little bit surprised I didn't hear more from Trump last week that this really vouched for everything he campaigned on. I hear I heard Mike Pence on uh, uh, Meet the Press yesterday and he was you know, talking about regulatory reform, health care, mm-hmm. and he didn't mention you know, immigration, refugee resettlement. Isn't this something that could be dealt with on day one through executive order? I think it might be a little more complex than that, and it goes back to the budgeting and all that. In fact, there's a critical vote this week, December 8th, I believe is what... Uh, it may be coming to uh, on a continuing resolution to fund this program. They're running out of money as we speak because there's so many Central Americans flooding across the border, Central American children, and they're classifying them as refugees once they get over and seek asylum here in the U.S. There's so many of those flooding into the uh, across the border that they're running out of money, and they need to ex- they need about a billion dollars in extra funding just to get them through to March uh, 31st. Uh, so, you know, will they do that? You know, will, will Trump be able to stop that if the funding is already allocated by the time he takes office on January 20th? It might be more difficult. Uh, so, so in, in know, terms of prospectively bringing in, like, Somali refugees, not, not ones that come through the border and uh, sort of asylum, but, you know, to bring in just... It, like- it's all part of the same pot, as I understand it. The Central Americans, that's why they're running out of money for the Somalis and the <laughs> Afghans and the Iraqis, is because all these Central Americans are flooding across the border, and they're being funded out of the same health and human services, uh, refugee services budget. 
Well, well, one final point here, and again, I wish we had so much more time here. Uh, Scott Perry, representative from your county, Pennsylvania, uh, federal rep, he's a, he's a House member, one of the good guys. He has a bill that I've been promoting to allow or to give states veto power over refugee resettlement. In other words, if HHS would come in um, with the Office of Re- Refugee Resettlement, private contractors say, all right, we're uh, you know, seating um, Glendale, Arizona with another 50 uh, refugees from, from Afghanistan, they could say, you know, they, they would actually have to affirmatively approve it in the legislature. In absence of that affirmation, the federal government could not resettle anyone there. From your experience dealing with um, some of the local communities, do you think that, that if we enacted such a bill, we'd be able to win on a local level? Oh, that is a good question. I think we would lose in a lot of the major cities. You know, I mean, picture, say, Chicago with Rahm Emanuel and a complete Democrat city council. We wouldn't have a chance in those cities. Uh, but a lot of the smaller cities, yeah, yeah, I think we, we would have a, a, a 50-50 chance on, on average in, in every, other, every smaller city, say, of less than 100,000 people. Uh, you know, because I could just tick off uh, a bunch of cities just off the top of my head that have been trying to get this stopped or at least uh, turned down a notch. You know, Amarillo, Texas has just been pummeled with refugees, and their mayor, Paul Harpole, has been begging and pleading to slow down the flow, but has had no, no luck whatsoever. Uh, same with uh, Manchester, New Hampshire, uh, Athens, Georgia. You know, it's just the list goes on. No, that's the thing. This long-term reform would protect us, even when we have a Democrat president. They would, or they would have to overturn the statute. So I think that's a that's a good protection. We're out of time. Can you just give our listeners um, a heads up as to where they could purchase your book, Stealth Invasion? Sure. It's it's officially not out until next month, but it is available now for pre-order on Amazon.com. Uh, and uh, you could also find it on at the, you can find it on, in digital form. You can get it right now in the at the WND Superstore. If you just go to WND.com and click on the Superstore and uh, search Stealth Invasion, it should come up in digital form. I think it's only nine ninety nine right now in digital format. Yep, everything you need to know about refugee resettlement. This is going to be one of the hot issues of the next year. Thanks so much, Leo, for joining us. Thank you, Daniel, for having me. God bless. Take care. Well, there you have it, folks. That was Leo Homan of World Net Daily with his new book, Stealth Invasion on the Refugee Resettlement Transformation of This Country. Um, this is this is where we are, folks. You know, um, we, we got to change the game. Uh, one thing I would just tweak there, I didn't have time to really flesh it out with Leo, but uh, the president does indeed have the ability to shut off the number of refugees that are brought in. Obviously, if they allocate funding so they could deal with the pool that's already here, but he could stop those from entering our border, um, at least the ones that don't sneak across and then declare asylum. Uh, and then as far as the <clears throat> local giving power to local uh, um, communities and states to veto, this is something I'm going to be following up on. Very important bill from Scott Perry. I'm telling you guys... We can't assume Trump's going to change anything. you got to fight for it. you got to make it happen. We're going to have a lot more on that theme next time at the end of the week. Until then, thank you for listening. God bless. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience.